Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 45 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And Peter, some people might be thinking, what the hell? They just came out with episode 44, but we're doing a <laughs> double week here with our uh, last couple weeks uh, having been off. Um, obviously, the Stanley Cup final is going to be underway this week. Lots to talk about there. But before we get into the hockey news, as always, how's it going out your way? Doing good. Yeah, the viewers are probably going to be a little bit surprised. You know, we're going to spoil them a bit with uh, two quick episodes. Um, but yeah, no, doing good, man. Uh, can't complain. You know, there was some really great news over the weekend with, you know, 25,000 shots being administered in Toronto at the Scotiabank Arena. Probably a global record. I know it was a, it was a Toronto-wide and North American record. But um, big news on that front. And even I, I think you got your shot, too, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. I, got, I am Pfizer times two, my friends. Pfizer times <laughs> two. Got my double dose and I, I'm feeling great. Had a little had a little run in with fatigue. But aside from that, uh, yeah, no, feeling good on this side. Glad to get that out of the way. As, as we've talked about on a number of occasions, um, you know, that's one step one step towards normalcy mm-hmm. and, and hopefully getting back to, to getting to watch our Maple Leafs live at Scotiabank arena. But one of the things with, with the Scotiabank arena being the sort of the place for all these shots was there's a lot, a lot of jokes being put out there on the, on the Twitter verse about <laughs> uh, how, how the opponents even outshot Toronto in this situation. Ooh. And I just, Oh, you know what? It's like we can't escape it right now. We just can't. We just can't escape it. Um, you almost have to just swallow each one and and, and just kind of laugh it off. But wow, yeah, it's uh, it, it's good to see though. Um, as we mentioned, hopefully getting back into, you know, a little bit of normalcy here. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, we're we're on the right track. Let's say that we're we're on the right track. Things are looking bright. Things are looking bright, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, a lot to talk about when it comes to uh, the Stanley Cup final. Obviously, our Maple Leafs, um, you know, we, we, we just touched base on Wednesday. Now we're on Sunday, so a little bit less time between our normal episodes still. Um, I think we we have to start the show off with uh, kind of the talk in hockey right now, um, the Chicago Blackhawks and Mm -hmm. this is this is an ongoing story and there's many different approaches to it right now um obviously Katie Strang uh is 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 covering it uh Frank uh, not Frank Saravelli um Rick West uh West yeah he's also covering it um 
obviously they have different sources. They're talking to lawyers in Chicago. They're talking to, to people involved in 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 the in the case. Um, they uh, Rick Westhead did mention that he does know the players that are coming out um, and and filing these these suits uh, these allegations. Um, that said, he he did ask that uh, people stop guessing. Um, just you know, for the, for the the victims' um, own privacy as well. Yes. But I, I mean, I don't want. It, I I want to get into it because I I don't think we're doing our due diligence if we don't. At the same time, there is still so much more to uncover here. Um, a great uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick got into it on thirty uh, thirty one thoughts, and uh, they really did say that uh, you know. Everything they said was it was so well said. I believe it was Jeff Merrick who did cl- close it out with, "This league, there is a lot of darkness." In in basically said, "There's a lot of darkness in the closets of this league," and that was an interesting statement to me, because I think, you know, we've seen a lot of stories come out. We've seen a lot of discussion about hockey culture. We've seen all these things unfold over the years that maybe in today's society are looked at a little differently. And then you see something like this and you're, you know, this was never welcomed in any sort of society, whether it be 20 years ago, 50 years ago, hundred years ago, it was not, it, it's not something that you like to read. And yet here we are talking about an original six franchise where it was something, it, it was, it was an assault that was, known about and i think that's the that's probably the most frustrating part about the whole thing is that it was known about and nothing was done it was quoted uh, as an open secret yes an open secret and even um katie strang asked uh you know montreal canadians gm mark bergerman about the situation he was obviously with the team in 2010 um and he said he had no idea about the, the meeting that took place with with upper management he didn't know about kind of the the stuff the ongoings that were happening there but it, it it's tough because as you mentioned it was known as an open secret and i just yeah. wonder how many people you know kind of were involved in realistically it's a cover up yeah and and the fact that they were able to cover this up for so long and the fact that we still haven't heard a word from Gary Bettman in the NHL right now is very disappointing um it's, it's talk- almost frightening too though it's almost yeah. frightening because now it's you're like wondering don't even want to touch it with like a 12 inch pole right now yeah it's very nfl like where they it's uh you're now talking about like the gentleman's league where they don't want people done to know just what happened behind the scenes they want mm-hmm. to try and cover it up as much as possible yeah and just reading about like the events going on um, the allegations that are involved with, you know, the two anonymous players. Uh, and then, like, there's so many working, like, allegations right now that I'm try- still trying to wrap my head around it. Um, it. It's it's disgusting. Like, it really is. And the fact that it's only coming to light, you know, 10, 10 or so years after it actually happened is it's mind boggling. Like, like how do you begin to process this? But not only that, you you look back and you think about the fact that this guy was able to go on and continue it elsewhere. That would be the most disturbing part is that 
not not only did it happen with a National Hockey League team where you know you're, you're talking about high school players too. Yeah, you're talking about men at yeah. this point. Now nothing was done about it, so he he went on and continued it elsewhere. And I mean, there, I saw a tweet. I can't. Remember, I I gotta write this down because I can't remember who it was, but it was. They, they they mentioned this has got to be the end for Stan Bowman as as uh, GM of the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, absolutely! It happened and under his watch. It happened under his watch, and nothing was done about it. And I like it's it's mind boggling that you know Stanley Cups were won after this. Um, you know, guys like Patrick Kane came through, Jonathan Taves, Andrew Shaw, uh, Dustin Seabrook. Buffalo, Bufflin. Sorry, yeah, um, Keith Seabrook, like. The the fr- the team that they had over those years was such a strong team, and it just it the amount of almost shushing it up that that went on in it, over over these like you said ten eleven years now, um, for it just to come out now, uh, it it's. I mean, it, it's just the beginning. I, I really do believe it's just the beginning. I think this is going to go much deeper than than we know um, at this point. And I think, you know, you couldn't have a better person on it. But uh, aside from Rick Westhead and and the stuff that the work that he's done is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I think he's gonna he's gonna be the right guy to really to really drive this story um, as it continues to unfold. And you also have to look at Kevin Dayoff and Joel Quenville who shoveled day off with an assistant general manager and Quenville was a head coach. And obviously uh, Rick West had no, it's not known whether they knew about the meetings or what was going on or not, but man, like Quenville, who's been a respected coach his whole entire career, shoveled day off. Who's been a really great GM right now. Um, like it's so many people are like being questioned or it, it's, ah, ugh. It's almost shocking. I, I, I mean, it is shocking to see, but at the same time, again, how are they able to get away with this for so long without any repercussions? And now only things are starting to come to light. Yeah, and I guess my question too is: is this is this about hockey culture at this point, or is this far past hockey culture? Because you'll have the you'll have the critics out there who say that you know the cover up. Um, all of this is, is part of what drives hockey culture in terms of it being a bad thing. And then you'll have the people that look outside that box and say, you know what, this is this is something way more. This is something mm-hmm. much deeper. This is this is not hockey culture. This is this is a true. I, I'm going to say a true American cover up is what it is. These are players and people's lives that are being affected. I mean. Yeah, you want to, you want you want to change hockey culture. You want it to be something that it's you know inclusive and that everyone can be a part of it. But we've seen time and time again where the culture, even though we think it's going in the right direction, it's not. We saw what happened with Bill Peters and the Akeem Elou situation. Um, Mike Babcock and Mitch Marner, or even some of the OHL incidences that have come to light with hazing and everything like that, like. J- it's got to stop like you like you want like they say oh hockey culture hockey culture call a spade a spade it's wrong it has nothing to do with culture it has to do with common decent like common respect decency and doing the right thing 
I mean, this has nothing to do with hockey culture anymore. It's about humans being affected daily because of the actions that are of others that are not getting or they're not getting punished as a result of it. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And yeah, like I said, I I, I think this is just the beginning. I I Mm -hmm. really do. I think this is going to be I I do think the player is eventually or the players, I should say, are eventually going to come out and reveal who they are just because I think that's I think it's it's a much bigger story than we we can even imagine. But, um, yeah, you know, that at the end of the day, that's up to them. That's up to them. I I think the fact that they've been put through what they've been put through is just uh, like you said earlier, is just disgusting and agonizing. uh, It it, it really is. And And now it's it's such in a public eye. And the thing that kills me, and you mentioned how Batman and, and Daly haven't mentioned anything, not a whisper of it when it comes to any any NHL affiliated website, mm-hmm. not a whisper. Yeah, yeah. Well, at some point it's gonna it's gonna blossom. And you you mentioned about the the players hopefully coming forward. If they don't, I I would I would understand if they didn't because this is probably a traumatic experience for them. Um, I mean, based on, uh, again, reading on what was being done with the NHL players, with the the Michigan high school players, um, it's actually really, it's, it's I, I, I can understand why they wouldn't want to come forward or, like, release their name, because it, it's traumatizing. It really is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, well, we just hope that, you know, obviously they find peace and and mm-hmm. and are able to to get through this and get what 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 they're de- deserving of is the respect of, you know, um, coming forward and, and basically putting somebody away that should should be away for a very, very long time. But um, like I said, we'll we'll keep on that. And I'm sure this will not be the last that we talk about it on this show. Mm-hmm. Um I did want to read one quick tweet from Rick Westhead as well. Uh, he said that the former Blackhawks player suing the team after he was allegedly sexually assaulted, asking for 150000 in his claim, that number is a placeholder. So essentially, for those who don't understand, basically that's just saying, you know, I'm asking, they're asking for, for a settlement. Um, the 150 k is just there as a, as a kind of... Uh, as a number for now that said Illinois juries decide damage awards. Although lawyers can suggest sums, the player's lawyer tells Rick Westhead that she'd suggest 10 million plus in this case. So obviously it's something that's been, I mean, I don't think I have to say it, but obviously it's been something that's very detrimental to the player. Um, and and we just hope that, uh, you know, moving forward, um, everything is, 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 you know, treated with respect and that, uh, you know, justice is served in the end. Definitely. And, and also we just hope that for, like you mentioned, their well-being and their mental health, because something like this, it takes a massive toll on them. And we just hope that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be in a great mindset at some point, because it's, again, like I said, it's difficult, it's traumatic. And just how this whole entire situation is, is unfolding and how, not a peep from the NHL. It, it's it's astonishing. It really is. Yeah, something tells me that's going to change the, as the NHL seemingly has 
always been one step behind, but is always positively sure that they are going to come out and and make a statement at some point after they hear it from uh, fans and and uh, and reporters um, alike. So I'm sure there will be a statement at some point. Um, but that said, a little too late, if you ask me. Yep. Um, before we move uh, move forward to the next big story in terms of the Stanley Cup Finals, I did want to mention that. The coverage next year in the U.S. for hockey is going to be incredible. TNT has Wayne Gretzky. ESPN just added Mark Messier as a, an analyst for their NHL coverage. On top of that, I did want to mention that Angela James, Hall of Famer Angela James, is also going to be a um, a part of the Toronto Six uh, coaching staff moving forward for next season. Yes. If you haven't watched it, head over and check out... Uh, um, free Keisha's uh, video on on Angela James and what she means to the black community, the black hockey community, the black women of the hockey community. It's it's incredible. It gave me chills. Um, truly amazing. I did retweet it over with the Sticks in the Six podcast Twitter. Definitely worth a watch if you have you know the the two and a half minutes that it takes to to watch that video. So definitely take a look at that. Huge congratulations to her. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Hall of Famer already, and uh, <laughs> certainly she'll bring a lot to that Toronto Six uh, for their the seventh season of the NWHL. So mm-hmm. we look forward to that, and I'm sure we'll cover that moving forward as well. Um, that said, Montreal, the Montreal Canadiens had had reason to celebrate. All of Montreal had had reason to celebrate. They went a little hard. Let's let's be honest. You know the oh, tipping yeah. of the the police vehicles and and such. But uh, that said, uh, we are very happy for all of our hockey writers uh, colleagues that get to continually cover the uh, the the Montreal Canadiens as they go on their Stanley Cup run here. Um, obviously, Ryan Sporzer, We've talked about him. Um, he, he's going to have an opportunity to cover the home games for the, the Montreal Canadiens. But worth noting, uh, Vegas defenseman Alec Martinez was playing um, playing the uh, in the playoffs with a broken foot. Um, I, I know we've talked about, like, um, you know, guys like Bobby Bond, who bro- played on a broken leg back in the 60s and, and things like that. But um, for, for a guy to play on a broken foot, I mean, it's just incredible what these guys put themselves through just to, just to hoist that holy grail. Mm-hmm. That said, the Vegas Golden Knights could not get it done. And the Montreal Canadiens, the worst, the worst net, the, the biggest nightmare for a Leafs fan is, is coming true in the fact that <laughs> the Montreal Canadiens will be taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup final. Um, obviously two, I mean, two major storylines right off the hop here is the Montreal Canadiens could potentially be the first Canadian team to win the Stanley cup since they won it back in 1993. But the Tampa Bay lightning could also repeat as Stanley cup champions, uh, which is another big storyline going into this series. Um, lots to talk about going into that. Jake Evans was, uh, practicing with a full contact, uh, uh, regular jersey at practice today. Um, that's after he took a, that hit uh, from Mark Shifley in the second round that uh, took Shifley out of the playoffs with a fo- uh, four-game suspension, five-game suspension. I don't remember. It was so long ago now. Um, but uh, he's back, possibly. Joel Armia could is on COVID protocol. Uh, 
there's no indication yet that he's going to miss time, but that's uh, obviously something that we'll play with as as it, we continue here. Um, but what are, what are your takeaways from this series? What are you looking at going into this uh, best of seven with Carey Price versus Andre Vasilevsky? Ah, uh, that's going to be a notable headline. Um, you know, Carey Price has been one of the top goaltenders, although regular season, maybe not so much the past few seasons, but he's still a notable name in top five goaltender in the league. And Andre Vasilevsky, I mean, guy's been lights out all playoffs. Um, just absolutely amazing performance. But the thing I'm looking at is how Montreal is going to handle another top offensive team. Um, given the fact that their defense has been so stifling and tough to play against and their quick transitional game really hurt the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Winnipeg Jets, and even the Vegas Golden Knights, Tampa Bay's power play is on a whole nother level. Um, we saw how much the, both the Leafs and the Vegas uh, Knights struggled on the power play. But Tampa Bay's movement is just that much quick or that more that much quicker that much le- more lethal um especially with the players that they have and um to me it, it again it's going to be offense versus defense and if the top offense in the league is going to be too much to handle for their for the Canadians defense and again we all love Cinderella stories Montreal deserves to be here in this spot but looking at you know some of the numbers for the Canadians and and then comparing it to the Tampa Bay Lightning, you're looking at both teams have a below than 50% possession rate in terms of uh, shot attempts in Corsi 4. Tampa Bay has 48.26% of 5-on-5, Montreal 47.83. Shots 4 percentage are below the 50% mark as well, but... Tampa Bay has a 55.93 goals for percentage compared to Montreal's 48.21. So it's like the chances are minimal, but Tampa Bay seems to find ways to score despite the low amounts and low shots for um, same with the low scoring chances because they're at even 50%. And obviously they go into the high danger area pretty much most of the time as well. Same with Montreal again. 54.21% and 52.63% for that. So the battle, it, it, it's going to be interesting how this can unfold because shot attempts and shots for are very weak, but Tampa Bay makes the, makes the most of their chances despite the low shots for percentage. Yeah, I, I think you you nailed it with how how important defense is going to be. I mean, there there was a lot of talk coming out of uh, the third round here that you know Caulfield was a huge huge plus uh, on the offensive end. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Suzuki was a huge plus on the offensive end. Kotkaniemi kind of uh, has been the 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 tertiary offensive player for the the Montreal Canadiens, but outside of those guys. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of scoring for Montreal. And that's where it comes down to, you know, their big guys on the back end, Sherratt, Weber, uh, you know, even John Merrill being a, being a big part, uh, Edmondson. Um, guys like that have been have, have been a force for this team. Um, and then you get to Carey Price, who has just been outstanding this entire playoff run. And, and you know, I, I jokingly, and, and I'll say it here on the podcast, uh, and you can hold me to this anytime you want, <laughs> 
But I said to my wife after they they secured the uh, the the Stanley Cup final um, that if there was one Canadian's jersey that I would put up on my wall in my man cave, it'd be Carey Price. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if it dates back to that moment he had with that kid who just lost his mom, um, where it was just overly emotional to the point where it was like, you know, it it gave me it gave me um, goosebumps just watching it. you know the moment he had at the at the uh, the NHL awards with him as well, um, or just knowing like you know he's got a young daughter as well, and just the way that you know he really he holds himself to a high standard in knowing that he is a professional and he treats the media with respect and he treats mm-hmm. his teammates with respect, and he's a guy that goes out there and plays the game with respect and has never been you know a a real noteworthy player aside from what he has done on the ice um and that's that's what i you know i just i love about him um i would if he played for any other team i'd probably cheer for that team um unfortunately (laughs) he plays for the montreal canadians and i cannot bring myself to ever cheer for the montreal canadians that said what i'm looking for in this series is a turning point and I say that because in every series that Montreal has had thus far, yes. there has been some kind of turning point. Mm-hmm. Toronto up three one in the series. Montreal turnovers. wins. Yeah, turnovers. Montreal wins back wins back to back overtime games. All of a sudden, it's a it's a tied series going to game seven. We knew damn well that they, that Montreal was going to win. You jump to the Winnipeg series. Shifley with that horrific hit on Evans at the end of the game. Um, that was the turning point for me. That, that to me, they rallied behind the, the, the Evans injury. They rallied behind the fact that Shifley wasn't in the lineup. I knew then that Montreal was probably going to win. The flurry giveaway in, in uh, I believe it was game three or four there. Um, three, yeah. Game three. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, Mark Stone, zero points. You're talking about a team that, found ways to get it done regardless of what situation they were in and Montreal did that and that for me in the Vegas series was the turning point Lanner came in obviously had a great game the following game but then kind of looked a little off uh in in game uh game five or game six there and um yeah I mean it just it, there was a turning point in every series and I think that's what you want to look for right now in the in the Montreal Tampa series is that can Montreal find a way to if they can steal either game one or two in Tampa, you're gonna be talking about possibly a six or seven game series in which Montreal really has a chance. Yeah. And it will again, you mentioned it. It'll come down to defense. That's going to be the main point for this Montreal team. If they can hold this offense to, you know, and, and kill the penalties. And we're talking about a, a team that has been unbelievable on the penalty kill so far. Um, you know, we could be talking about the potential of a Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup win. You don't want to say that, but yeah, it is a very good possibility. And again, give credit where credit's due. And 
Yeah, you mentioned the offense, how they get it from their young guys, and maybe not a whole lot from anyone else. You have contributions on the back end from the defense from the Tampa Bay Lightning, aside from Jeff Petrie. Um, Shea Weber has come up every now and then, but aside from that, you don't get a whole lot of puck-moving mobility from Montreal that you do the Tampa Bay Lightning, where you have Hedman, you have Sergachev, you have Ryan McDonough, who could jump into the play every now and then, despite being a defensive-minded kind of player. Um, but yeah, it's going to be hard pressed to find a turning point with this Tampa Bay team where their forwards are clicking every single game. Their top six is unstoppable. Their bottom six is just as lethal with, you know, uh, Goudreau, uh, Coleman, Ross Colton looks pretty good. He looks like a real pain on the ice out there. Um, the defense is, again, you got to put it in. Montreal's favor but Tampa Bay has been pretty good in shutting down the opposition and making pretty strong bounce back games and Andre Vasilevsky is Andre Vasilevsky you you can't you can't sugarcoat that any other way so you're gonna have it's I want to say you see I I didn't want to make my prediction just yet I mean I already have my prediction um I I want to say Montreal because I'm gonna get burned Every because I've been burned three times before, as pretty much most of us have. But it's hard not to pick Tampa Bay. They're the Stanley Cup champs for a reason. They're here again for a reason. They managed to take down every single opposition, and where they've had a bad game, they managed to bounce back very quickly. You can't say that with the Golden Knights. You can't say that with the Leafs, and you certainly can't say that with the Jets because they got swept. So. I, I think I, I agree with you that it's going to go six or seven games, but I think Tampa's going to come out and repeat. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with you. I think Tampa and six. I said it today uh, to to another uh, colleague of mine. Um, I do I do think Tampa and six only because I the experience and they they've been there mm-hmm. uh, in possibly one of the toughest years where they were all stuck in the bubble together. Um, I think now they've got an opportunity to win it in tampa and in front of their uh, fans in front of their fans um and, and i think that's going to be you know motivation enough the fact that they they get to play in front of their fans so um i'm going to go tampa on six uh, i i think montreal is going to put up a hell of a fight i don't think there's going to be blowout games i think we're going to be talking about some some one goal games here but um yeah i think it's great experience for the young montreal canadians um you know I think Suzuki is going to come back stronger next year. I, I'm like think think of that one too. Suzuki traded from Vegas, um, you know, just to come back and beat them out of the playoffs. Like how how ironic is that? It's just, I mean this this whole run by the Montreal Canadiens has been impressive. And like I said, if there's if there's somebody that I want to win it, it it's Carey Price and and even Shea Weber. Like mm-hmm. these are two guys nearing the end of their careers, likely, um, and it'd be nice to see them kind of hoist the cup once. I just wish it wasn't in a Montreal jersey. That was that's my only wish, <laughs> my only wish, Peter. I I I no argument there. But how angry or how upsetting is, are the Golden Knights right now? Because I I could have sworn I read somewhere where Mark Bergevin. I initially wanted Cody Glass, but I think the Golden Knights didn't want to give up Glass, so they gave up Suzuki, and he took Suzuki in that trade for Pacioretty. Man, did 
did Vegas drop the ball on that one? Nick's not giving Cody Glass and keeping and not keeping Nick Suzuki. So at 21 years old, Nick Suzuki has 20 points in 26 Stanley Cup playoff games. Yeah, that's impressive. And again, you can't, you can't. It's hard to decide or pinpoint out how prospects are going to develop. But with the way that they had high hopes for Cody Glass, I believe he was taken fifth or sixth. And then Suzuki 14th. Obviously, you had high hopes that Cody Glass is going to be, you know, a potential top line, top six centerman. You really haven't seen that. You're seeing a top line centerman in Nick Suzuki right now. And that's really coming to bite Vegas big time. Yeah, I know, 100%. And this kind of brings us over to our Toronto Maple Leaf talk. Um, you came up with a piece today about the what the Leafs can learn from the Montreal Canadiens. I want you to kind of break a, break that down for us uh, and our listeners. As, you know, the Montreal Canadiens were not a team that were expected to go on a cup run at this, uh, you know, this early in their, let's call it a rebuild. Um, but here they are with with players like Suzuki and players like Caulfield leading the way. What can the Maple Leafs take from the Montreal Canadiens right now? How to deal with adversity. Um, number one, um, you mentioned the Jake Evans incident, and I didn't mention that in my article because it, it, it did slip my mind. Um, but you have everyone in the media and everyone out in the hockey universe already counting them out against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then they, they win against them. Same thing with the Jets, same thing with the Knights, and those are three high-flying, high-octane offenses, and they were able to dismantle them completely. They don't have any star-studded players. Um, they got a great young core in development right now, but we're and now we're seeing you know it pay off, especially with Cole Caulfield in the mix right now. Ducharme tested positive for COVID-19 uh, after Game 2 and couldn't coach for Game 3 in the rest of that series. And he, it looks like he's going to be coming back possibly for Game 3 in this one. They've taken adversity and they ran with it. And they didn't let anything get in their way. It looked like that was going to be the case for Toronto when John Tavares sustained that concussion. They win back-to-back games 3 and 4. It looked like they had a stranglehold on that series. And then... Game five happens. They're down. Jake Muzzin basically takes the life out of Montreal with two goals in the third period, forcing overtime. And you think, okay, advantage Toronto. They can end it right here, right now. You see Alex Galchenyuk with that blind backhand pass where Caulfield intercepts, Suzuki, goal. Same thing in game six. Down. Toronto mounts a comeback. Spezza, Brody. You think that's enough to get a W in overtime. No, Travis Dermott tries to do a fancy play, turns it over to Kakaniemi goal, and then that's history right then and there. It seems like every single time there's adversity, Toronto chokes. And that's the one mental aspect that this team has got to get over in order to find success. I mean, Tampa Bay had their ups and downs as well. The Washington Cancer, uh, Capitals had their struggles as well. So it's fair to say that early on still in this maple leaf core that they can't overcome it but it's getting to a point now where maybe it shouldn't be happening this much and the fact that they still haven't overcome adversity let's hope that this series is the one where it says you know what 
we got to push through. They were able to power through. What they they accomplished what we should have accomplished, and they dealt with so much more. Where they were, the Maple Leafs were out with one of their top six uh, players, their their top two centermen, and they managed to do so well without him. That what happened? Well, we know what happened, but like what in their minds like said that you know what? I I know they just didn't say we're just going to quit and throw in the towel because they didn't. But like, what's blocking them from getting to that extra level of success? And that brings me into my next point. They need to find that killer instinct. And I've talked about this in, in, in like in length where they need to go out and find players. But if they get that instinct, just like the Habs did, they're going to go far. They need those kind of players that grind it out, get into the corners, make life difficult for the opponent, and come out on top with the puck. The third thing is the rush chances. The rush chances, and again, their defense, they have the knack to draw the players in, block them at the blue line, crowd them, force a turnover, and then the puck goes the other way very quickly. And case in point, Paul Byron's goal and quite a few other goals um, throughout this whole entire playoffs. Montreal has had a significant advantage every single time the super stats on sports that comes up, they've had a g- better margin of rush chances than their opposition. I don't think, I think there may have been like once or twice where they had rush, where they didn't have the lead in rush chances, but they made their opponent pay when they forced the turnovers, they surround the puck carrier and they go the opposite way because they got the speed to do it. And that was a major factor for them in the regular season. And that was a major success for them in that postseason. So uh, I was going to say Cole's notes version, but that was kind of pretty long. But to sum that up, if they could find those three factors or add those three elements to their game, obviously the adversity is more of like the mental psychological aspect of the game where they need to dig dig deep and look inside and be like, hey, something's got to change. We got to do this. That, to me, are the things that you, they can learn from this Montreal team. And just like the Tampa Bay Lightning getting swept by the Columbus Blue Jackets, this could be a the this could be the wake up call. Not we said multiple times this is a wake up call. This is a wake up call. This could be the wake up call that this team needed, where nothing is set in stone. You got to work for it. Yeah. So I guess I mean. Obviously, some great points by you. Um, I guess the question that comes to mind for me is, is this still just a matter of this team not being mentally ready? Um, I, I think to the guys like Marner Matthews that are still very young. Um, and I wonder, is is it a matter of them not being mentally ready? Or is it a matter of, of you know, a team like Montreal just having the right pieces in place and, and you know finding a way to come in a little bit mentally stronger. I mean, I talk about guys like Shea Weber and Corey Perry and mm-hmm. even even a, obviously a very stable uh, Carey Price. That, to me, was the difference in this. And I, I say this with respect to Simmons and Thornton and, and Spezza, is that I felt like the veterans from Montreal – maybe had a better understanding of what needed to be done to get past that first round. Yeah. No, agree. And 
Yeah, Thornton and Simmons, they were complete non-factors from game one on. Um, Nick Felina was injured. Um, he wasn't himself. I think the two veterans that you could look, or three actually, that you could look to that made an impact were Muzzin, Spezza, and Brody. Um, given the fact that Jason Spezza scored three goals in that series, they were getting secondary scoring. But again, where was Joe Thornton? Where was Wayne Simmons when, you know, Toronto was getting pushed around? You brought Wayne Simmons in to be a physical force. Where was that physicality? There, It, it was nowhere. And we talked about this on the lounge. What if the Maple Leafs signed Corey Perry over Wayne Simmons? Would it be a different scenario or would we be saying the same thing if Corey Perry was playing like Wayne Simmons? And that was an interesting topic that um, everyone should go check out the YouTube channel of the latest episode of Maple Leafs Lounge. But it's really interesting that the Maple Leafs had pieces in place. It's just, I think... They just didn't get enough out of them. And yeah. Montreal got the best out of what they signed for. They got the best out of Perry. Obviously, Shea Weber, Shea Weber. He's been um, a, a monster on the back end and leading this team year after year after year. Um, even even depth and role players like Yoar, Mia, and Paul Byron stepping up. Um, we basically had that with Alex Kerfoot uh, and Spezza. But then again, you look at players like Ilya Mikheyev, Alex Galchenyuk, who created that turnover. Travis Dermott still showing some rust, granted missing some time over Ras, uh, when Rasmus Sandin was playing. But it, a lot of what-ifs. And I think now is the time where you try to roll with some of your other players to see if they could develop into that, you know, depth role, leadership kind of th- uh, presence. You got to go back to the drawing board and try and reevaluate that. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think we talked about it last episode in in possibly bringing in guys like Brandon Saad, who has obviously been there before, no, understands what needs to get done. Ryan Getzlaff, who has been there before and understand what understands what needs to be done, and that's why I go back to this whole Tampa possibility in the in the final is that you know it it comes down to experience, it comes down to knowing what the grind entails to get to that point, and. That's again. That's no shot at at, at the Montreal Canadiens. That's just simply yeah. saying that you know Tampa's been there. Tampa did it in, in what I like. I said arguably one of the toughest years, and I think that's what Toronto's missing. I think Toronto's mm. missing the guy who has been there. Um, you, you even talk about Spezza, who arguably was one of their best secondary players, and he hasn't technically been there. Um, yeah. So. I mean, I think there's a lot of change that still needs to happen. And we, we mentioned again last episode that, you know, this is going to be a, a fun offseason to watch the Maple Leafs because I think there's going to be a lot of changes that come come about. Um, but th- that has already started. And, and, and it, it starts in the with the coaching staff and with, with the upper management. Um, you and I have been guests on the uh, prospect ranking show with uh, Greg Boyson and obviously Matthew Zader over at the Hockey Writers. Again, check out the YouTube channel if you have not already subscribed. It's a lot of great content coming your way from all of our all of our Hockey Writers shows. But one of the things we've talked about on a number of occasions is um, Ryan Hardy. Um, yes. And, and what he's done with the Chicago Steel in the USHL. And really, he's built a juggernaut. Uh, in the USHL, he has been a 
an absolute phenom when it comes to GMs and what he's been able to do. And, and, and I mean, if you look at the, the, the players that are technically owned by, by the Chicago steel, if they were to play in the USHL, I mean, you're talking about guys like Matvey Mitchkov. You're talking about um, some of the top prospects coming out of the next few drafts. And he's done all of that. Um, and now he's joining the, the Maple Leafs front office as an, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm forget. I'm blanking on his title here. Um, I was going to say assistant GM, but it's not assistant GM. Senior director of minor league operations, where he would serve as general manager of both the Mitt, the Toronto Marlies, and the Newfoundland Growlers. That's right. So building yep. that pipeline in the ECHL, in the, uh, the AHL for the Maple Leafs, trying to uh, trying to find those you know those next gen players for the Toronto Maple Leafs and on top of that the Seattle Kraken hired Dave Hextall Hextall away from um the Toronto Maple Leafs coaching staff and that as we, you know we'll we'll get into in a minute here has opened up a door for the possibility for a guy coming in that could help the team's power play which was abysmal over the last couple of months of the season and into the playoffs and Alex Hobson over at the hockey writers wrote an incredible article about this but I want to get your take first on Ryan Hardy second Mm -hmm. on the possibility that Bruce Boudreaux might be the perfect assistant coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs it's funny because last year uh Greg Moore who was the head coach of the Chicago Seals, actually the last two seasons for 2018, 19, 1920, he came over and took over Sheldon Keefe's spot for the AHL and didn't have the top or the best season that he would like where the team went 16 and 24 and 2019, 20. But then again, the pandemic hit um, still had a great amount of success where the team that he coached before he went over to the Marlies was 41-7-0-1. But the the amount of thought process and the way that he thinks the game, this is the perfect signing for the Maple Leafs and Ryan Hardy. Um, you look back to 2018-19, where you know, you're seeing a big connection with the Chicago Steel and the contacts or contacts and relationship that Dubas is building with this team because they are becoming a perennial team for development of NHL prospects. Nick Abrusese, 80 points in 2018-19, taken in uh, 124th overall in the 2019 draft. Um, You look at this year where... This team is absolutely stacked. You have Sean Farrell, who led the team in 101 points. Matthew Coronado, 85, who's a, a, a potential top 20 pick, maybe even top 15, top 10 in this draft. John Josh Doan, who is an overager, got 70 points. And you're looking at Ryan Ufko, Matthew uh, Samuskiewicz, Adam Fentilli up for 2023. There's even um, Joe Miller. Joel Miller was taken 180th overall in the 2020 drafts. He had 18 points in 40 games. Um, Owen Power played with the Seals before he went over to University of Michigan. They know talent. They know how to evaluate it. And they know how to get the most out of them every single time. And this is interesting, too, because um, I saw a mock draft and... uh, 
I can't. I, I, I remind me. I'm gonna correct myself next week, uh, and give the Twitter handle because I can't remember it at the top of my head. He has the Maple Leafs taking Jack Barr, and Jack Barr is six three, 193 pounds, great mobility, solid puck mover, puck moving defenseman, and obviously played with the Chicago Seal this year. Ryan Hardy. You could bet that maybe he's put in a good word about him. And I have Jack Barr as one of my top five targets with that second round pick. So the fact that he was able to do this at a junior level, I have no doubt that Ryan Hardy is going to be able to accomplish great things with this team and the prospects that are coming up through the pipeline to help build those rosters and to help develop them along with, um, you know, the player development side of things as well. Because let's face it, uh, Timothy Lilligren is looking really good. He's probably going to be on the way up, but you have other prospects like Topi Niemela, Miko Kokinen, um, you know, exactly when they come over, you can rest assured that they're going to be in great hands with their development. So I absolutely love the signing. And yeah, I, I the you could rest assured that there's going to be possibly more Chicago Steel Maple Leaf connections coming in the near future, especially with the NHL draft. Yeah, also worth noting that Chicago Steel, the, the only two championships they've won have been two of the last four handed out. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. it not being awarded in 2019-20, but they won in 2016-17 and again in 2020-21. So, um, you know, obviously a team that, as you mentioned, recognizes the, the talent that's out there and, and has found a way to get get them involved in the organization. And I think the addition of Ryan Hardy, uh, you know, you talked to Greg Boysen and he's he's going to he's going to praise this this uh, signing by the Maple Leafs. I think he uh, he he'd be the first guy to tell you that what Hardy's done in Chicago is is so noteworthy that uh, any team would be lucky to have him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm with you. I, I think there's going to be a lot of connection between the Chicago steel, uh, and the tournament beliefs over the, over the coming years. Yeah, no, for sure. And, um, it, it, it's, it's amazing how they just continue to get better and better and better. And I, I'm curious to see how like hit with it, he, I'm pretty sure him and Dubis are probably on the same wavelength of shared philosophies on building a roster, player development, and everything like that. So I think we're in a really great spot because Dubas has done a lot of great things, and we see what Ryan Hardy has done in the past. So the fact that they got him on board um, in their system, I mean, Toronto's just killing it in terms of signing uh, players in a management or coaching role at a lower level and bringing them up to them because I think this is going to be this is going to help them out on the long run big time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as I mentioned, there was there was another change to the coaching staff. Dave Haxtall was uh, picked up by the uh, Seattle Kraken as the first head coach in their history. Um, Haxtall's best season as a head coach in the NHL came back in uh, 2017-18 with the Philadelphia Flyers when they went 42-26-14. and They were, however, bounced in the first round. Um, again, he... As an NHL coach, he hasn't made it outside the first round. 
as a an assistant with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he hasn't made it outside the first round. So this is a very interesting signing for the Seattle mm-hmm. Kraken, but it also opens the door when it comes to the Maple Leafs for a guy like, oh, I don't know, Bruce Boudreaux, which Leafs Nation <laughs> seems to be calling for. Who? Um, who? Um, <laughs> hide the toasters. Hide the toasters. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, definitely a guy that uh, could could definitely change how the Maple Leafs power play has worked over the last, uh, you know, the last few months of the season. It, like, as I mentioned, it was just abysmal. Uh, they couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Um, we're seeing now that it might have been more Montreal's penalty kill come playoff time. But that said... Is this a is there a possibility that we see Manny Malhotra move to the PK where I think personally he would be more dominant in terms of creating a a penalty kill worthy of talking about and and open the door for a guy like Bruce Boudreau to come and be the assistant focused on the power play? Oh, absolutely, and I think. I understand why you wanted to try and give Manny that role to try and get him outside of his comfort zone and bring a different way of thinking to a power play, but it just didn't quite work out. We know Manny Mahotra was a defensive-minded, you know, third-liner, face-off specialist kind of player, and he always had that mindset when he was on the ice. I, I admired the way that he played the game and how he thought things out defensively. So putting him in that role with the penalty kill, um, definitely is going to help is 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 playing to his strengths given on what he's known in the past and how he's seen things especially with I, he had a role with the vancouver canucks uh, i can't remember what his role was but he was on a coaching staff maybe working as a face-off specialist there coming over here and trying to like uh t- um teach what he's known in his uh defensive capabilities but bringing in bruce boudreaux to work a power play i mean Every single year that he's been um, with the Capitals, with the Ducks, with the Wild, the power play percentage was always top notch. Um, I'm just reading Alex's article, and he broke down the percentages of Boudreaux with his time with with all three teams. 21.8% with his time with the Capitals overall, second in the league. Um Four years with the Ducks, power play was at 18.2%. Top 15 in the league, not bad. Could have been a bit better, but we know how the Ducks kind of tailed off with their offensive production and points and everything like that. But with the Minnesota Wild, was at 20.7% to be top 10 in that league. So Alex did a fantastic job going through the years and breaking that down. And honestly... Given his offensive mindset and how he he's going to work to the team's strengths with Austin Matthews, with Mitch Marner, and maybe he could try and get Mitch Marner to shoot. Because let's face it, um, Ovi had a setup man with Nick Backstrom in those days. Probably still that kind of uh, setup man right now. Um, maybe he could try and get more production out of Mitch Marner, both as you know a setup man and as a shooter to try and work on that because he did score 20 goals this year. But even just overall, his attitude his mindset and his approach i think it's going to benefit the maple leafs no matter what over 560 wins in 984 games 635 points percentage as a coach again struggled at times in the playoffs didn't quite get far but you look at how many times he's finished first in the league granted as a head coach but imagine the impact that he can bring 
with being in that offensive role because he knows how to play, he knows how to work and and you know make minor adjustments to an offense based on what he's had in his career with Ovechkin and Basham with Ryan Getzlaff and even Ricard Raquel and Corey Perry during those years with the Ducks and I'm I I think this is probably the move that you gotta make and he said in the past that he would consider taking that you know assistant coach role to be with the Maple Leafs so it, it it's it's in the stars can they put pen to paper yeah and you know what I I don't mind the lack of production in the playoffs from a guy like that if he's coming in as an assistant because I think his knowledge just emphasize or or um, amplifies what what they'll have on the bench and I think that's mm-hmm. what's more important here um, is the fact that a guy like him can bring so much knowledge to the to the Maple Leafs bench that for a young coach like Sheldon Keefe it just offers up so much more opportunity um, I I personally love it I think you know if you haven't checked out Alex's article definitely check it out it's it's definitely worth a read mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean like like we've said before, the Maple Leafs offseason is going to be a fun one to watch. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, I know we did two quick episodes this week, but, uh, you know, three worth, worthwhile conversations to have when it came to the Maple Leafs. And I, and I think uh, this is just the beginning for them, and, and hopefully, hopefully they're on the right track to uh, getting out of that first round next season. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, two quick notes before we kind of close this out. I did want to mention uh, Stephen Johns, um, former Dallas mm-hmm. Star defenseman, going on the rollerblade of a lifetime. Uh, if you're not following him, following him on Twitter, um, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. The, the follow is great, but just his journey for mental health. And this is a guy who's – who struggled with uh, depression after um, a couple, a few injuries. Um, obviously, his career cut sh- far shorter than he would have liked. Um, and he had a lot of promise, too. He had a lot of promise with the Dallas Stars. But check him out. Uh, you can even follow along on the hashtag Mental Miles. Um, you know, he's trying to engage a lot of people. I believe his latest tweet was that they were heading to Yellowstone Park. So, I mean, that, that alone is pretty incredible. But they're doing some great things there. Um, I also wanted to mention we are obviously a Canadian podcast um, for those outside of our Canadian realm here that don't really know what's going on in terms of the indigenous people here north mm-hmm. of the border. Um, I'd be remiss if we did not mention it. And I don't want to get into the political conversation. I don't want to get into the religious conversation. But there are a lot of unmarked graves um, that are being um, found at former um I don't even want to call them residential schools. They're 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 residential properties that mm-hmm. um, were used to basically strip Indigenous people of their culture. Um, you know, up until 1997. And and I have to admit the ignorance that I had for it. I I did not realize that it was that recent. Um, and, and it shocks me and it blows my mind. And I, I wish that we had learned and and knew more about it. Um, but this. I know it, it's caused it's caused my wife a lot of emotional turmoil because mm-hmm. you know having having a, a son now just imagining that um, you know a lot of a lot of these 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 uh, unmarked graves are for kids um, and 
yeah, I, I, I don't know if I can really get into it. Um, it just, it, it's, it's really, it's really hit us hard. And, and yeah. I hope, I, I hope that they find every last one and can, and can continue to raise awareness as to what, what this country was built on, built on. And unfortunately it's not something that we want to celebrate. Um, that said, um, I think we need to continue to talk about it. We need to continue to push in the right direction and understand that there is so much more room for change. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're talking about over 1300 lives now and, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't really have the words right now, but I, I did feel like it was definitely something that we had to mention moving forward here. No, definitely. And you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, shock, disbelief, and things are starting to come to light. And the past, it, it, the past will always be dug up. And the fact that, you know, this is all coming to light, we're being made aware of it. We need to have this conversation. We need to show the respect for the Indigenous community and show support for them because this is absolutely tragic. It's discussing how this happened, and we just want to show our support with them. And it, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't. I like you. I'm at a loss for words. It, it's really hard to put it into perspective right now, based on what we're seeing and what's unfolding right now. It's it's absolutely tragic. There's no other way around it. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think we're in a position right now where, you know, we are kind of on the outside looking in. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, um, that leaves us kind of in a spot where we can we can say all the right things, but until we start acting upon it as well. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, we we just hope as as proud Canadians that we continue to move in the right direction here. Um and that we we uncover the the history that that you know we again we talk about cover-ups it's a history that that candidate wanted to try and you know cover up and yeah. and um yeah uh sorry sorry this has become such a dark episode but that said i mentioned to you at the beginning of the the episode that i want to talk about a documentary and i'm on a documentary <laughs> fix right now um Again, not the most, I guess, bright and, and euphoric documentary, but if you have if you have Crave TV, if you have the opportunity to watch this documentary, I think I know where this is going. Watch Framing Britney Spears. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I I am wholeheartedly part of the hashtag Free Britney movement right now because this is absolutely sickening what's going on right now yeah it, it it truly is unbelievable and the worst part about this whole thing is that in the entirety of the documentary not one family member was talked to mm -hmm. not one family member wanted to come out and discuss the um the the the, the craziness that's going on right now in that family shows you where they stand absolutely and yeah. oh I, I i don't want to give anything away for anybody who's listened to us from the beginning, they know I'm a huge documentary guy. I love, I love the, you know, the, the, the true crime stuff. I love the dark stuff, but this, and I kind of mentioned to my wife that I wanted to watch it. 
and we sat down and you know our little guy was down for a nap and we put it on and it was probably one of the most horrific things i've ever seen yeah in terms of just the you know the 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 amount abuse the psychological yeah yeah, everything yeah I, i i don't know it's it's worth a watch if you have an opportunity Take the hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes, whatever it is. Sit down, watch Framing Britney Spears. It'll change your entire your entire uh, thought process on who she was as a person. And yeah, yeah. What it, she yeah, went I mean, through. Yeah, what she went through is just yeah. awful. I have a question for you. There's a, a tweet, and a lot of people are quote tweeting this going around about Name five movies that you have seen at least ten times. I'm curious to know. I I know what my five are, and I think I have like so many that it goes beyond five. I'm curious to know what are five movies that you have seen ten times. I was gonna say I'm probably in the same boat as you. Like I don't mind <laughs> watching movies. Um, I have to say Fast and the Furious. Ooh. The original, like the, the Fast and the Furious. Um, <laughs> oh, American Pie, hundred percent American Pie. I'm That's all over American Pie. Um, probably A New Hope, Star Wars, A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Um, like the entire Harry Potter seven disc set. Uh, I grew up in the Harry Potter time, so that yes. absolutely and. This one might shock you, but he got game. Classic Denzel Washington. He got game. I I'll I'll say it right now. Denzel Washington is one of the most underrated actors of all time. Absolutely. I I hundred percent agree with that statement. Training day, unstoppable. He got game. Just three that like come to mind immediately when i think about this guy man on fire like mm. I, I mean th- just unbelievable unbelievable the pelican brief they're another one like i'm just i'm i'm running through i actually did a, a school paper on him uh in talking about masculinity in film and like you want to talk about a guy's guy um i'm gonna point you right in the direction of, of denzel washington perfect Perfect. I would actually like to read that paper. <laughs> I'll, I'll see if I can dig it up. <laughs> no, that that's those are five great films. Um, I I for one like you, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I did not include that because that's not fair because I've seen that at least like at least a thousand times. Yeah. In my lifetime, <laughs> but I did Godfather one and two. I'm I'm combining that as a series. Okay. Saving Private Ryan. Oh, great movie. I. I, every single time I did a history report, I would always go to Saving Private Ryan. Um, Goodfellas. That Goodfellas. doesn't seem fair because I watched that a lot. All right. The other two, and I'm kind of shocked about this one or one that I'm not going to mention. I, I'm a huge Disney fan. Beauty and the Beast is my top Disney film. Really? Really. Really. All right. All right. Yeah. Two more, but Beauty and the Beast is at the top and Goon. Goon. Okay, I have to, I I have a confession to make. I have never, <laughs> I have never in its entirety seen any of the Godfather films. Ooh, man, right? 
I know. I'm not, I'm not proud of that statement. I'm not proud of that statement. Next time there's a marathon on TV, I, I would save you the trouble and don't even bother watching three, but one and two are a must. All right. I will make sure <laughs> that I don't pass that up ever again. I know I, I consider myself a movie buff, but I have not seen those films. And that's some I, I admittedly am disappointed in myself. Man. Yeah, I, I, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that one. But the other one that I did not mention, and I watched it at least like 50 times during this whole entire pandemic was Shawshank. So, oh, great movie. Yeah, so great I'm going to bump that from five to six for me. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, with that, I'm going to close out with we did run a poll. We've got one running right now on the Sticks and the Six Twitter. Uh, we did run a poll um, about a week ago. Uh, what, uh, on whether or not the Leafs should go after Dougie Hamilton. There were 66 votes. 47% of you said, yes, they should go after Dougie Hamilton. 40.9% of you said no. And 12.1% of you said, I burned my Leafs jersey. So to the 12.1% of you, I'm very sorry uh, that you're going to probably end up spending another $250 on another jersey. <laughs> But, you know, that was a choice that you made in a very dark time for Leaf fans. Let's hope your mind changes afterwards. Let's hope your mind changes. And don't buy a Dougie Hamilton jersey. Just go with one of the classics. (laughs) With that, thank you all again for joining us. I know it was the second time this week for episode 45 of the podcast. Again, as always, you can follow Peter on Twitter at P. Barracchini or myself at Andrew G. Forbes. You can follow the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod, S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D on Twitter or Instagram. Definitely hit us up on YouTube. We got content rolling out there. Uh, head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcast and be sure to subscribe, comment, review, whatever you can. Rate us on iTunes. Make sure you download the latest episode and be sure to subscribe uh, so we can continue to bring you some of this great content as we move forward with some incredible guests lined up. As as you said, Peter, we've got an A-plus lineup coming up with guests. That said, until next time, that's it for Peter and myself. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.